It seems to be really promising. Studies being done in psychedelics now show very big effect sizes. You know, the, the results that they get from using psychedelics uh, together with therapy, they are very big compared to other means of giving therapy. Welcome to the Seabland Podcast, I'm your host Seabland and today our guest is Jay Barten. Jay is a neuropsychologist and clinical psychologist from the Netherlands. Jay is involved with the academic community of psychedelics and co-organized the Interdisciplinary Conference on Psychedelic Research 2020. He's also a consultant at microdosepro.com. This episode is brought to you by Optimal Carnivore Organ Meat Supplements. Organ meats are some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. You can cover nearly all of your vitamin and mineral needs with just a few ounces of liver per day. However, organ meats and offal can taste awful, pun intended, if you're not used to eating them. That's why the founders of Optimal Carnivore started sourcing 100% grass-fed organ meats from New Zealand. They freeze-dry the organs and encapsulate them into convenient bovine gelatin capsules. The products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished, free of hormones, no pesticides, no antibiotics or GMOs. Optimal Carnivore's grass-fed organ meat complex contains nine different organs such as liver, brain, thymus, heart, kidney, spleen, pancreas, lung, and gallbladder. Visit amazon.com forward slash optimal carnivore and use the code SEAMLUND to receive 10% off all products. Jai, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm excited to talk with you because we're going to cover a topic that um, hasn't been on my podcast uh, previously yet that much, uh, which is psychedelics and uh, microdosing. So uh, yeah. it's going to be really interesting. It's very kind of new, let's say, or a lot of more scientific uh, attention has been going to this field. Um, but uh, first, let's you know, talk about your background. Like, How did you become a neuropsychologist and uh, what made you like, you know, delve into the world of uh, psychedelics? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah. So I work as a psychologist now. I have uh, degrees in neuropsychology and clinical psychology, for which I studied at university, of course. Um, and yeah, I think I've always been fascinated by how the brain works and you know the interactions between things that happen in the brain and how that affects behavior, thoughts, feelings, you name it. Um, which is why I went to study neuropsychology. In the end, I found that uh, my specific master's degree mostly led me to work in hospital with people who have brain damage, uh, whereas I would be more interested in working uh, well with people who had other kinds of problems like depression, addiction, anxiety, which is the work that I'm doing right now. Um, but in between all of that, I discovered psychedelics uh, first through reading, uh, found out that in, uh, well, 2007, 2011, there was some research being done into psychedelics, what they do, how they work, uh, and whether they could be used as tools to help people heal from trauma, help them deal with uh, addiction, help them deal with depression. Uh, so that got me really enthusiastic about the subject. Mm. And that's when I started reading into it more and more. And I think one of the things that most got me the most was that while I was studying, I always had the idea that everything important there was to know about psychology had already been discovered and all the all the all the important things you know all the uh, treatments that already been invented so there wasn't much to to do anymore and i got a bit sad by that uh seemed mm. a bit boring but then i found psychedelics and that seemed to be like you know we had a lot of research going on uh in the 60s there was a lot of attention for it and then due to social political reasons uh, outside of the scope of this conversation, most of that got banned. Mm. So actually right now there still is a lot to figure out about psychedelics, how they work, how to use them best. Uh, and yeah, that makes me very enthusiastic. Mm. Yeah, so, so yeah, over the past few years, there has been, I think more like uh, academic and uh let's say clinical adoption of psychedelics as you know, treatment options for uh, different uh, psychological conditions. And uh, yeah, apparently like, at least like the biggest you know, effects come from these 
maybe addiction related issues and trauma related issues etc uh, but uh, what is let's say yeah can you give like an overview as well about what is the clinical evidence of evidence of uh, psychedelics and uh, what does the science say about uh, the benefits of them that has yeah. been seen well it seems to be really promising uh, studies being done in psychedelics now show very big effect sizes uh, which means that uh, you know the the results that they get from using psychedelics uh, together with therapy, uh, they are very big compared to other means of giving therapy. So for example, if you would compare uh, psychedelics for depression to antidepressants for depression, you see in the latest research being done that they actually seem to be very much online and maybe there are some signs that psychedelics might be more effective. So, this is for depression. We have a lot of evidence or a lot of research happening and being done in the past uh, with MDMA, which is also being uh, put in the same category as a psychedelic. So MDMA for post-traumatic stress. And beware, all of this is together with therapy. So it's not just the substance itself, it's the effects of the substance together with uh, giving therapy that makes the treatment whole and that makes it effective. So yeah, it seems to be very promising. Um, another part of psychedelics is microdosing. And for microdosing, the research is still much more in the beginning phases compared to other, uh, other research into psychedelics, but still very interesting to see what's happening there mm, yeah yeah for sure uh, that's uh, quite uh, interesting so the, what, what would be like the main uh, let's say uh, conditions or diseases that have been proven to be used or what what what, what does the yeah like mainstream uh, research use those uh, psychedelics for well research started um well restarted i have to say with end of life depression and anxiety so this is for people who had a diagnosis of cancer or any other type of disease that would or might uh, kill them in the end. And these people were suffering a lot from well, having to deal with that news, of course. So this was the first subject that uh, treated, well, was treated with psychedelics in the new age of psychedelics. And after that, uh, trauma has always been a very big one. So they use MDMA to treat trauma. Then comes depression, has been researched extensively already. And well, now there's more research on the way into OCD, into anxiety, into a whole host of uh, psychiatric disorders, or in other words, things that people might run into in life. Yeah, that's... So like even like, let's say, um, everyday people, they could use it uh, and improve like the quality of life as well as treat actual, you know, medical conditions uh, with, that, with that. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the discussion is kind of going right now. It is, um, do we want to use psychedelics only as medicine? And if we do use it as medicine, then, right the condition would be that you need to be sick in order to be able to use psychedelics. Another thing you could say is, okay, uh, if you're sick, you can, be, you, you can use psychedelics for treatment, right? For, for healing from what you're struggling with. But also if you want to use it for personal development, then you should be able to use psychedelics. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not one to take a political stance, I, however, do know that a lot of people who are not diagnosed, right? They don't, they don't um, possess all the criteria to, they don't meet all the criteria for a major depressive disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, but still they can have a lot of benefit from using psychedelics, be it mm. in a responsible and safe manner, of course. Gotcha. Why is the reason why they're like, <clears throat> let's say, this controversy about them and what, what, like, why were they banned in the first place initially? 
Well, for some reason, psychedelics got uh, caught up in the war on drugs. So mm. there was a whole group of people who were very scared of psychedelics. They were very afraid of it. They thought that psychedelics were harmful in any way. Um, well, we can talk about the motives of why this information would get out. Uh, we can talk about the motives of people who were very much against psychedelics. End result now is that um, we know that psychedelics are among the least harmful substances uh, known to be used as recreational drugs right now. Mm. We also know that they're, they're among the least harmful substances. And so the potential for addiction is very, very low in psychedelics. Mm. You build up a tolerance straight away. So it's almost impossible to use days in a row mm. gotcha besides that it's almost impossible to overdose on psychedelics so the physical safety of users is um is protected right there have been cases of people taking crazy amounts of psychedelics uh, like a thousand times a normal dose and well they're having a hard time for sure but physically they're gonna be all right Mm. Gotcha. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So the case to put psychedelics in the same category as um, heroin or alcohol, for that matter, is kind of lost. Mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the let's say the addiction of alcohol. Well, alcohol is one of the most addictive substances, and uh, yeah, but it's you know you can get it anywhere <laughs> almost. Yeah, true. Mm. Uh, but you know, I, there are like some, you know, the restrictions are being like lifted and it's becoming more accepted uh, around the world. So what are they maybe, what, what countries is psychedelics like, you know, what's the yeah, like different levels of legislation or uh, different levels of restrictions in different countries, do you know? Um, no, and it's an ever-changing field as well. So, for example, America used to be very strict on cannabis, on psychedelics. Now, in the past few years, you see that states uh, decide for themselves that cannabis can be legal, for example, or that uh, psychedelic mushrooms are all of a sudden legal. Uh, so there's a lot of things happening. This is also because of the research that's being done. Right? To be able to do research with a prohibited substance is very difficult. So governments can choose to legalize, let's say LSD or legalize psilocybin. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that it's gonna be for sale for everyone, but that does mean it's gonna be more easy for researchers to get their hands on psilocybin and to get studies off the ground. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And, but currently like, if you go to a doctor or something in some countries, is it still, can you get like prescribed uh, psychedelic ther therapy from some doctors, maybe in the US or what countries? Um, no, not yet, at <laughs> least. Okay. Um, no, like there are, there are movements on the way that say, for example, you know, the, um, the success that studies get in treating PTSD, for example, with MDMA is so big that it would be unethical to keep people away from these treatments. So they're trying to you know, convince governments to make exceptions on the rule that these substances are legal so that more therapists can go on and work with these substances. But as of yet, there's still no uh, doctor's prescription for a microdose of magic mushrooms. Okay. Or Gotcha. For them. gotcha. Uh, so yeah, what, what are then the let's say the main uh, psychedelics being used? Like what are the compounds? The main compounds are uh, psilocybin, which is the active ingredient of magic mushrooms and truffles, LSD, and uh, DMT and mescaline as well. But I'd say that especially within research, also ketamine and MDMA, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say that 
if we're talking about microdosing, it's usually psilocybin or LSD that's mm. being used. Gotcha. Well, LSD is, you know, it's not like natural, it's the, you know, chemical, uh, chemically made, um, whereas like psilocybin that you get from magic mushrooms is, you know, thousands of years being used actually by humans. Yeah, that's true. On a side note, however, LSD is synthesized from uh, a fungus, the ergo mm. fungus. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so is there like any, in history, they've also been used in a similar way for like these psychological disorders or what was the historic use of magic mushrooms? Yeah, yeah. Traditionally, it, it dates back well, thousands of years, probably. We're not quite sure. It does seem that the use of psychoactive plants, mushrooms, uh, other substances has been around, well, for as long as we can remember, probably. Mm, gotcha. Um, all right. So, but what is the difference between uh, yeah, like microdosing and an actual therapy that you would get from a, like a study or uh, some doctor? Well, so the difference is that for example, if you take a higher dose, a therapeutic dose or recreational dose, whatever you'd like to call it, is that your perception of reality changes. You have what you'd call hallucinations, which doesn't mean that you're seeing things that aren't there. So it's not like pink elephants walking across the room, <laughs> um, but it is a change in perception. So things look differently than what they normally do. Uh, trees and, and other inanimate objects might seem to come alive and seem to grow or shrink or move where they probably shouldn't be moving. Um, music can be very different. Colors can change. Uh, if you close your eyes, people talk about having closed eye visuals, which often uh, consist of bright colors, bright patterns. Uh, and with all that, you do seem to be on another, uh, in a completely different state of mind. So problems that you have, you might be able to think about in different lights from what you normally do. Things you get stuck on uh, might become loosened up. And that is uh, of great value for therapy. Now, when we talk about microdosing, we don't want to have these intense effects because that is what they are. They are intense. You're you know, probably not capable of um, going to work or talking to your family members mm. if you take a high dose. So the goal of microdosing is to take a small dose in which you are functioning as you normally would, but hopefully do have some of the positive effects that psychedelics can bring. Mm. So some of these positive effects, well, the most reported ones are a lift in mood, a change in energy levels. So people say that they feel more energy, uh, they can, they're not as tired as they usually are. Change in the ability to focus or concentrate, change in the ability to get into a flow. So this is where microdosing for work comes in. And I think that's where it got, it's got, gotten most of its uh, popularity from. No, I don't know if you've seen them, but in Holland, at least, there were all these headlines of people in Silicon Valley taking small, small doses of mushrooms or LSD in order to be better at work or to be more productive or more creative. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've also seen those headlines. Yeah. 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 And what's the, what's the difference in like the amount of like, you know, how, how big is a microdose and how big is it like a macrodose or... <laughs> Macrodose or a mega dose, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so microdosing is about a microdose is about five to ten percent of a regular, uh, regular dose. Well, okay. what is a regular dose, for example, we can say for uh, truffles, for example, a regular dose would be around 15 grams, and a microdose would be anywhere in between. 0.5 gram, 0.1 gram, sorry, 0.5 gram to one gram. However, the effects of psychedelics are very peculiar in that some people are very sensitive to them, other people aren't. 
And it doesn't have that much to do with, you know, your composition, your body weight, your length. Um, but there seem to be other factors in play, which ones we're not quite sure yet. But for some people, a microdose can be 0.2 grams of truffles and other people need more than one gram. Okay. Gotcha. That's, uh, and, you know, what is the duration of a microdose? How long does it last versus like a regular dose? How long does that last? Yeah, good question. And this is a funny one. So a regular dose of psilocybin lasts usually anywhere between five and eight hours. And then you're sober. If you take a psychedelic, or if you take a microdose of a psychedelic, you're already sober and you're still sober. So you do feel subtle changes in mood, for example, energy, creativity, uh, concentration and flow, as I just said, but it's very subtle. And what most people report is that they say, okay, the day that I take my microdose, I feel the effects. The day after, I still feel different from normal. I still feel like there's some change within me. And then often on the third day, they say, okay, now this, this day, I don't feel anything different from what I would normally feel. Okay. So there seems to be... Now with... Can you can repeat it? It was a bit of... Yeah. So there seems to be effects on the day that you take your microdose, but also a spillover effect into the day after. Hmm. Gotcha. Nice. Um, I've also heard like something like heroic, heroic dose. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> heroic dose is a regular dose, but then you take three times as much as you normally would. Okay, gotcha. And that takes you into very unknown territory, at least for most people. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very heavy, intense psychedelic experience. Gotcha. I wouldn't recommend it, especially not to begin with. <laughs> for sure. Uh, but what is your experience with uh, microdosing? Um, what have you noticed the most? Well, for me, what I've noticed is for sure the energy. So I notice uh, I, can, I can wake up early, um, do yoga, work all day, meet with friends, have dinner, come home and still feel like, oh yeah, I've got enough energy to read a book instead of crashing. And I can do that then for longer periods of time. Mm -hmm. I feel for sure change in the ability to concentrate, which for me sometimes is a bit difficult. I think everybody's on a different uh, level for that. And I know that my uh, concentration span isn't very wide. Microdosing does surely seem to uh, widen that. Changes in moods, I definitely feel. Um, so I feel often like, doesn't mean that I'm dancing on the couch, on the sofa, in the living room, but it does mean that if I'm on my bicycle through the rain in Amsterdam, whereas normally I'd be pretty bummed out by that, I can now think like, oh wow, the city actually looks pretty nice with this rain mm. uh, and not be that, that bothered by it. Gotcha. And I think for me, um, what I think is important with microdosing is I think it's a very good tool to start picking up new habits. So one of the things we know about microdosing is that it increases a certain uh, hormone in the brain. This hormone is called the BDNF, the brain-derived neurotropic factor. And the more of this hormone we have, the higher levels of this hormone, the easier it is for our brain to make new synaptic connections. Now, for a neuropsychologist, easier... Uh, having it easier to make new connections in behavioral terms that would mean it would probably be easier to learn new things so with that in mind if you go into microdosing with a certain goal right something you want to change something you want to learn something you want to do differently than what you normally do then microdosing would help you get to that point easier so one of the things for me 
that I've tackled with microdosing was procrastination. Hmm. I would be very good at not doing the things that I should be doing. And uh, I don't think I'm the only one who does that, but it was pretty annoying to me. So I decided to try and get this head on uh, while I was in the period of microdosing. And I honestly do think that the microdosing has helped a lot. Gotten a lot easier for me to just get up and do my laundry when I got home from work instead of thinking, nah, I'll do it later. And then, you know, you have to do it on a moment where the timing is even worse. Mm. And there's a lot of other examples for that. So, and that stuck also. And so it was easier for me to not procrastinate while microdosing. But also after I quit microdosing that time, I could still stop procrastinating. I still wouldn't do it. Mm. Gotcha. So what is the, maybe the reason why do you think that it happens like that? What do you mean? Why do you, what, what is the reason why do you feel like not procrastinating when you do it? Well, because procrastinating also kind of became a habit for me, mm. I guess. And it's very simple. The more often you do something, the more likely it is you'll do it again. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And, and this is very simple cognitive behavioral learning theory. Uh, yeah, the more often you do something, the more often uh, you will do it in the future. So if you want to quit a certain behavior, you will have to do something else and you will have to do it again and again and again until that becomes the new pattern. Mm -hmm. And uh, the psychedelics help with that by increasing the BDNF that helps to basically make the brain more plastic and change more easily, break yeah. those, break those yeah. habits. Yeah, that's the idea of it. Gotcha, right. Mm. What, are, what, are, what are some other effects besides those on the brain? Um, yeah, well, I think because for this podcast specifically, you're into longevity, right? Mm. You're into figuring out how, what things we can do that make us more healthy and make us you know, old and healthy at the same time. So one of the things that's important also about this BDNF is it helps us create more, uh, more plasticity. It helps us create more connections in the brain. The more connections we have, the more protected we are from cognitive decline in older age. Hmm. So hmm. there's, for example, a link between developing cognitive impairment and your level of education. Because we know yeah. that people who have got more years of education, they've been working their brains in a different way. And that actually protects them. It gives them a bigger buffer before they actually start to show symptoms of cognitive decline. Same yeah. goes for people who are bilingual. Hmm. Very interesting, yeah. And that all yeah. goes down to like the uh, brain basically uh, being more plastic and having higher levels of BDNF and uh, being yeah, more just flexible with that. Yeah. And also, like this is important. It's also about being challenged. It's also about oh. doing things, right? Exercise is a great way to increase neuroplasticity. Um, meditation seems to do the same. Healthy living is it's all. And this is all very important in order to keep your brain healthy for a longer period of time. And this is also linked to microdosing psychedelics. Because what was funny to me is that there's um, this research, and I'll send you the link so you can post it in here as well, mm -hmm. which was, a que was multiple questionnaires, and they asked people who were actively microdosing what their experiences are. And what they saw is that not only did people report a better mood, which is healthy, because a better mood means less cortisol, less cortisol means less inflammation in the brain, which means your brain is healthier. Besides that, they reported actually shifting towards healthier lifestyle choices. Hmm. So hmm. people who were microdosing say, hey, I'm not sure why, but I do feel like I do notice myself eating healthier. I don't go to McDonald's all the time anymore. 
I don't drink as much alcohol as I used to while I'm microdosing, or I don't take other kinds of drugs that I know that are not healthy for me. Uh, I exercise more, right? I meditate more. So there's all these behavioral changes happening in people who are microdosing uh, that actually also lead to a healthier brain, more longevity. Mm, gotcha. So it's like, yeah, like if you have higher mood, then you're just more motivated to do stuff. Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, this is the... Um, the argument for antidepressants as well. A lot of times, if someone is very depressed, it can be almost impossible for this person to actually get out of bed and do something. But because they don't do anything, they stay depressed. So this activation is really important, but really hard sometimes. And antidepressants can help people, can help get people activated that way. Mm -hmm. Well, the same might go for psychedelics. Right? As you say, if you are more, more energetic, if you are happier, if you're better able to deal with um, you know, the small downsides in life, then you're probably more likely to engage in healthy behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. And it also explains uh, like why you know, people develop these more afflictive habits or... Uh substance abuse is when they usually have like some actual more like yeah like some life issues related to their maybe relationships or work or purpose or meaning in life or whatever so they become like depressed and uh, or low mood and then they develop these yeah. afflictive habits in the first place so like yeah like happy people generally aren't addicted <laughs> to stuff yeah absolutely well i can i can uh <laughs> provide some anecdotal evidence for that. I, I work as a psychologist. I've been mm. working as a psychologist for uh, some years now, and my main focus has always been addiction. Mm -hmm. I haven't had one client in all those years of work that had a perfectly happy childhood or mm. zero stress in life. Mm -hmm. And there were always things happening that made people, you know, move towards alcohol, move towards drugs, because it was a way out of feeling a certain way. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Are you still, are you also using psychedelics in your own uh, clinical practice? Um, no, not at the moment. Uh, what I do do is I do coaching, mm -hmm. uh, but I do coaching with um, people who want to use psychedelics for uh, personal development. Gotcha. I would like to see because the, the reason that uh, I'm not allowed or that I, I, I won't do it right now is because there is no research whatsoever into these effects. And as an academic, we would always say, wait until the research is there before mm -hmm. you really start something. And that's just that is the safe way to go, I believe. Yeah. There's research starting right now. Right? In, in using microdosing as well, in conjunction with, uh, with therapy. Uh, I have high hopes for this research, but we'll have to see what the results say. Gotcha. So how would you use microdosing for the personal development or let's say people want to improve their focus and uh, not procrastinate on those kind of things? What would, what would be the approach for that or what are the protocols? Well, I would say in, in that case, microdosing would be um, maybe best seen as a type of supplement to therapy. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, you come in and you're depressed, then that means that you have to change certain behavioral patterns that you have. And if, uh, like what I said before, actually holds to be true, then microdosing would, in theory, make it easier for you, if you're depressed, to change those ways that you have that keep you depressed. Mm -hmm. gotcha. and if that happens then yeah after a while after a few years maybe five maybe ten we don't know um a psychiatrist might prescribe someone a dose of psilocybin uh, every other day in conjunction with their therapy mm -hmm. gotcha but we're not there yet and it's probably going to take a little bit right but they're also like, a, a, I've seen on, your, on the website that um, 
there are like these different protocols, like the Stamets protocol and uh, others. So what's the, yeah, like what are the differences between them? Yeah. So um, the classical microdosing protocol is you do one day of microdosing and then two days without, and then one day with microdosing again. Mm -hmm. The idea behind this is, this is a research protocol. And they say, we do it like this so that people can really feel what's happening to me on microdose. What's happening to me on the second day? And how do I feel normally? So what is the difference? And then you start again. Mm -hmm. um, now, there are lots of different protocols you can follow. So this is one. Uh, if I give workshops in microdosing, if I do my own coaching clients, uh, I always tell them, try to pick two set days in the week to make it easier for yourself. For example, Monday and Thursday. If you follow the first protocol, uh, one day on, two days off, your microdosing day would shift every week. Um, that might be confusing. It might mean that you accidentally forget or skip microdoses. So set days might be easier. At least I find it to be easier. A lot of my clients do as well. Then there's others that say, uh, do one day on, one day off. So every other day you take your microdose. Have another protocol indeed made by Paul Stamets. Uh, he's a pretty famous mycologist, at least in uh, psychedelic circles. This is a very known name. Mm -hmm. His, he, he developed a protocol where he said, the best way to go about it is to take your microdose four days in a row and then take three days of rest. And there you go again, four days in a row, three days of rest. Now, which one is best? I honestly wouldn't know. And I think this is very, depends on personal preference. Um, but if you were to start with microdosing, I would say start with two set days in a week and don't make it too hard on yourself. Um, mm -hmm. See what happens if you do that and then go from there. Gotcha. And what are the, um, yeah, like compounds, which, which, which are those compounds is like, I don't know, the best for the beginners or, um, yeah, kind of recommended to start with if they're interested. Um, well, the compounds that we work with are psilocybin containing truffles. Mm -hmm. And we work with those because they are the only compound that are legal at the moment. Uh, the company, we have Microdose Pro. It is based in Holland. So in Holland, the psychedelic, the, the psilocybin containing truffles are legal. So mm. uh, that's where you can still get them. Uh, I wouldn't be the one to say on the internet that you should buy LSD. That'd be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so because, it, because it's illegal, of mm. course. Um, but yes, I think the two most used compounds for microdosing are either LSD or psilocybin, and then psilocybin can come either from the truffles or from the mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Uh, and how how uh, how much psilocybin does your truffle have? Uh, to be fair, I'm not completely sure. Mm -hmm. Not by not not I don't know that by heart. I do know that if you start microdosing with the truffles. What we always recommend is to start with a dose anywhere between 0.25 and 0.5 grams. So we have this division, like not just one dose, but there's two doses you can start with because we know that for some people it's quite exciting to start microdosing, but for others it might be a bit scary as well. Mm. Right? There's a lot of people who've never used drugs any other than alcohol and they want to go into microdosing, but of course, they're a bit apprehensive because they think, okay, I'm going to take something that I don't know what the effects are. I've never done this before. There's been a lot of bad news about mushrooms, about LSD. So yeah. it's normal. It's to be expected that they're apprehensive. And if you feel like this uh, describes you, then I'd say take a little less so that you're sure that you know the effects aren't going to be very strong and that you'll be able to handle it. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I think that, yeah, there's maybe the misconception that because it is, you know, somewhat considered of a, I don't know, like a drug or something like that, 
then they may get the impression that it's going to you know, like yeah, completely <laughs> transform their uh, consciousness in some way. But it's you know because it's a microdose, you probably don't feel that big of a difference. Maybe like subtle nuances or something. Yeah, exactly. It's subtle nuances, and and this is what I always uh, try to explain as well. If you take too much of a microdose, the effects still aren't going to be near what you feel if you take a full dose. Yeah. Right. So let's say, for example, um, your microdose is normally 0.5 grams of truffles, and then you end up taking double that. Then you take one gram, it's still one fifteenth of a regular dose. So it's not going to get you a full psychedelic experience. It's not going to be near that. What people report mostly if they take too much for a microdose for them is that they say I feel either uh, restless, I can feel nervous. Some people uh, compare it to drinking too much coffee. Mm. That there's this energy that you can't really get rid of. A lot of people yeah. say they lose their focus. They might get a bit scattered in their head. All of that, not a very big deal or a very big change. People around you wouldn't notice that there's anything different for you, but you might notice that, okay, you're a bit annoyed or you're a bit tense. Uh, you're not able to focus right. And yeah, that can be annoying, especially if you take your microdose because you feel like it's going to help you work better. Right. <laughs> True. Uh, is there any ways to like uh, get it out of the system faster or does it react to some certain compounds with like, uh, I don't know, does it increase the enzymatic reactions like maybe caffeine or grapefruit or... <laughs> Yeah, it does increase the enzymatic reactions with caffeine. Um, a lot of people get very sensitive to caffeine when they are microdosing. So we always advise people to not drink with their microdose. And I think about 90% of the people who come to me saying like, hey, I've got, um, you know, I've started microdosing, but it makes me very, very nervous. and don't like it. Mm. Most of them are still drinking coffee. And mm. once they take out the coffee, then these annoying effects are gone. And I'd say if you take your microdose and these effects are too strong, then I'd say try to not fight it that much. If you feel like you've got too much energy in your system, then maybe go outside and take a walk instead of um, forcing yourself to sit behind your computer and finishing your, your task. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Well, that's pretty uh, interesting. Um... This Paul Stamets protocol, so lion's mane isn't like a psychedelic, it's actually just a mushroom uh, that's legal yeah. and uh, edible. Um, so uh, what are the benefits of combining it with the psilocybin and the uh, lion's mane? Well, the lion's mane uh, also seems to increase the BDNF. It seems to increase neuroplasticity. So combining the lion's mane together with uh, the psilocybin-containing mushroom or truffle means that you in theory, get or double the effects, or at least a heightened effect. So they work on the same systems. This can be helpful if you use microdosing in order to change behavior, for example. Mm, nice. Uh, do you take the um, lion's mane uh, regularly as well if you're not microdosing, like an, as a regular supplement, or you take it only with uh, the uh, psilocybin? Um, well, that's personal preference, but I believe the lion's mane is you know, very well tolerated, so you can take it throughout. Um, as for microdosing, we always advise, or I always advise, uh, to take microdoses for a maximum of two months and then quit for a while. Mm. The reason behind that is that, you know, we've seen some people who are very enthusiastic about the microdosing, which is a good thing, but they say, well, this helps me feel better, it helps me feel, I don't know, more confident, more in control. It helps me with work, uh, all these positive things. And then they end up using it for a very long time, like half a year or a year. And what happens to those people is they get used to the feeling of microdosing. They get used to uh, their ideas that this is how they always feel. And then once they quit, it might be a bit of a letdown because all of a sudden they find that, you know, their focus becomes less than what they're used to or their mood becomes less than what they're used to and if that happens then you've started leaning on your microdosing too much and that actually kind of 
seems very similar to addiction and right? if you need something in order to feel a certain way so you know in my line of work that would be very unacceptable making people addicted to microdosing and i have to say that this is rare uh it doesn't happen often but i've seen it happen sometimes and i try to prevent that in the people that i work with mm -hmm. and also i believe that right you go microdosing in order to change something you set a certain goal you want to be able to keep pursuing that goal after you're done microdosing. So you need to have a period where you learn new, new behavior, for example, and this can be with microdosing, but you need to also be able to integrate that in your everyday life. And that, right, you have to do without microdosing. Mm, gotcha. So what is the product, if you do get like addicted, what's the protocol of getting unaddicted? Like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I mean, I mean like because well, like you, you, because you like, be... like sometimes you know they use the psychedelics to treat addictions, but if you get addicted to it, then <laughs> how do you how do you do that? <laughs> you take a lot in one go. No, <laughs> no I'd say no, but this is like the hard part then. This is the same for normal addiction. Then if you quit, you have to get used to not doing something anymore. So you have to get used to not microdosing anymore. And well, the only cure for that is time. Gonna take some time before right, you forget how it felt to be microdosing all the time and uh, and start being happy with how you are mm, by yourself. Gotcha. Are there any like other non psychedelic supplements or things that can help with that? Can help with the addiction part. Getting well, not really, I think, but I also have to say that. This is very, very rare. Mm. It's, it's okay. almost never that it happens. Uh, I think most people kind of have a sense that, you know, they're microdosing and then they feel like, okay, I'm done now. And mm. I actually don't see a lot of people who really feel the need to do microdosing for two months, then take a break for one month. And then like, at the end of the month or at the end of the two months, are like, can't wait to start microdosing again. Mm. very often it's the case that people do microdosing the first time then they know what it's like and then they'll know i can't go back to this if i want to mm -hmm. and then they'll just wait until they feel like they want to again for some people that can be you know within a few months for some people it might be a year other people say well i've done it once it was very nice but don't really feel the need to do it again gotcha so it's yeah pretty like rare and pretty kind of safe for non-addictive yeah 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 gotcha i'm willing to say that yeah <laughs> are there like any people who shouldn't do it like um any people who have like any let's say high high risk group people or anything like that yeah yeah so the high risk is um in research into psychedelics they have always excluded certain groups uh, these groups are people with an addiction of psychosis uh, and uh, sorry a history of psychosis people with a history of bipolar disorder right? and especially with manic episodes mm -hmm. um, and people on antidepressants antipsychotics etc because the research has always excluded these people these people it's unclear still whether or not this is well tolerated for these groups mm. so in other words there's always been the idea that people who are susceptible to psychosis shouldn't do psychedelics but there's very little data data on if this is actually the case yeah. but to be safe right i don't want to say if you have a, if you've had a psychosis but you want to go microdosing, sure, go ahead. You're going to be completely fine. Uh, I'd still advise not to. Um, but also, I'm very much looking forward to see more research being done into the subject, so that we know what the tolerability is. Uh, we know, for example, that people with a history of psychosis often, very often, also have a history of trauma, and mm that if you treat this trauma, you can prevent future psychoses. So mm. 
maybe you can use psychedelics to treat the trauma that makes someone psychotic, but maybe you shouldn't because using the psychedelics could make someone psychotic again. So it's very much unknown still. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, so but I would I would err on the right side. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, safety. So you say it right? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe consult with someone before. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. This is what we always advise people as well. Nice. Um, all right. I think yeah, it's, it's been a pretty good overview of uh, this topic and yeah, pretty interesting. And I think uh, some people can definitely find it more valuable. Um, and the future is definitely also pretty exciting to see what the research you know, shows and more like different kinds of yeah, trauma victims or PTSD and those kinds of things. I think it's going to be pretty valuable uh, for those kinds of people. Yeah. Um, and before I ask, ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, well, you can <laughs> learn more about me and my work through the internet. Um, you can find me on the page microdosepro.com microdose-pro.com on this website we also have a lot more information about microdosing about you know where to get your microdoses how to do it and if you still feel like you want some extra uh, guidance in that you can book private sessions or uh, bigger workshops with me through this site as well so microdose-pro.com awesome nice We'll put all the links in the show notes. And uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or habit that you wish you had adopted sooner? Take more time off, I would say. Nice. Yeah, yeah. take more time off every now and then. Take a break from work, from stress, from whatever you're doing. Try and see new things. Mm. I think that's a healthy thing to do. And mm. then a lot of people skip it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> they do this good advice. Um, all right, it was a uh, great talking with you, and uh, yeah, looking forward to you know what your maybe you, are you organizing another conference or? Um, well, not me, but there is another conference coming. The ICPR, very interesting. I'd invite everybody to go check it out. You can find it at ICPR in Google. I'm not sure the. <laughs> the exact URL, but um, yeah, interdisciplinary conference on psychedelic research. There is one coming in 2022. Nice, awesome. All right, uh, well, it was good talking with you, and uh, yeah, I'll see you around. Likewise, thank you very much.